Hope is a wonderful thing. We all need it. We all want it. And uh, it's important because we're all going to face storms. Maybe now, maybe later, uh, but at some point in our lives, we all run into storms. Although they're not always as foggy uh, as uh, the drive-in was this morning, uh, we do all face them. Uh, I'm John Beaker. I'm uh, one of the overseers here at Southfield. Uh, Our pastor, Pastor Dennis, is uh, enjoying a week with his family in Texas. So as soon as he left, he took, uh, I guess, the slightly warm weather that we've been experiencing over the last few, uh, few months, unseasonably warm anyway, with him. Uh, so uh, we're very thankful that he has the time off. And I, I loved the, uh, the theme of the women's conference. I love the theme of what Dennis brought to us last week. He just started introducing us to this concept of, of peace, Right? and the need that we have for it. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that while I was sitting over here, I was not experiencing peace because I knew what we were going to be talking about today and I was very nervous that he was going to steal my thunder, but thankfully he did not. So that was uh, very nerve-wracking indeed. Well, many years ago uh, when Susan and I were first married, uh, we went to Jamaica. I went to Jamaica. We went there for our honeymoon because after... Months of planning and preparing, we were honestly looking forward to the break before we had to re-enter real life, uh, going to school and, and working and such. And while we were there, we noticed that it was scenic and beautiful and warm. And as it turned out, it was filled with unanticipated danger. For example, on the flight down there, we had to make an emergency medical stop. A guy on the plane actually uh, was in a a serious situation. We had to land the plane. I'd never seen that before. Never. Uh, A couple days after that, we got to Jamaica, and our first uh, trip into the water, the beautiful blue water, Susan decided to get into a fight with a jellyfish. Uh, She lost and got an 18-inch laceration on her leg for her trouble. Never seen that before. Never seen that before. Well, finally, and perhaps worst of all, uh, was our sailing expedition. Uh, It was anything but the peaceful trip that we were hoping for. And I I suppose it's probably true that boys from the Midwest who have never been on the open water should probably expect a few bumps and bruises uh, from such an experience, but I did not. Uh, The journey started out innocently enough as we boarded the ship with several other passengers and prepared to enjoy a relaxing voyage as we set out on our three-hour tour. (laughs) The sailors prepped us, told us what was coming, and uh, we set out uh, just sure that we were going to enjoy the excursion. As we left the dock, uh, full of anticipation of enjoying the warm weather, we could not help but admire uh, the blue sky and the blue water and the hot sun. But after a short while, the most interesting thing started to happen. As we got further out on the water, I noticed that the sun started bobbing up and down. And I was feeling another feeling that I had never felt so strongly before. Uh, You see, I'm what's known in nautical terms as a land lubber. Uh, I like the land. Things make sense to me on the land. I like it when things are stable. Uh, when they don't move around so much. And as that hot sun continued to beat down on us and the ship continued its less than gentle rocking and swaying, 
The inside of my stomach decided to become a world-class gymnast, turning cartwheels at a furious pace until I finally succumbed to the pressure of the moment. <laughs> Expunging the contents of my previous meal overboard, just like the sailors did to Jonah during their trip to sea. And at that very moment, I looked, at, I looked deeply into the blue eyes of my new bride, and I could tell what she was thinking. Oh, he's a catch. He's a winner. This is a, a journey that I can't wait to be on. I can't wait to share a lifetime uh, of this. She may have had other thoughts, it is true, and I'll, I'll leave her to describe what those other thoughts may have been. As for me, I was just happy to get back to earth and stop the swaying. I wanted to get back to shore where things made sense and the sun just did not move around quite so much. We've all had experiences in life that didn't measure up to our expectations. For me, it was the romantic honeymoon sailing excursion. For you, maybe it was something different. Maybe it was the horseback riding experience where you learned that horses sometimes don't smell as fresh as you'd like to imagine that they do, or perhaps you learned the true meaning of saddle sore. For others, perhaps it was their first experience at a professional baseball game where they suddenly realized that a three, four, or five-hour game can actually feel like an eternity. It's true. As children, many of us have experienced the desire of wanting to play uh, with a particular toy or own a particular toy, game, or piece of athletic equipment that we just had to have it, only to realize after playing with it or using it for a few minutes that it didn't deliver the joy that we imagined it would. Let's face it, unmet expectations are annoying. They're annoying. We like it when our experiences line up with our expectations, but that's just not the way life usually works out. And while we don't like it when it comes to sailboats or horses or ball games or toys, uh, it crosses an entirely different line when this phenomenon of unmet expectations start to, starts to venture into different realms of our lives. Our emotional lives, our vocational lives, what we do, our schooling, our, our, our work lives perhaps most of all our spiritual lives. And I think it's this one, this last one that really surprises us when it comes to following Jesus. Right? We have a certain expectation of God when we surrender our lives to Him that He's going to take care of us the way that we would take care of us. In our minds, we expect that God is going to take a freshly washed warm blanket right out of the dryer and wrap us up in it to keep us cozy and safe and warm. Unfortunately, that's not always the way that it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes God does do that for us, and other times He doesn't. And this can lead us to confusion when God doesn't do what we think He should do. The problem, of course, is that we are not Him, and He knows stuff that we don't know. Perhaps most importantly, He knows stuff that we don't know even about ourselves. And therein, of course, lies the problem. Our goals and our desires are at odds with God's goals and desires. Our goal, a lot of times, is a full tummy and a warm blankie. Safety, security, serenity. His goal is much 
much different than that. His goal is to transform us into something new, something better, something more than our former sin-stained selves. Something useful for His purposes of reaching a lost world for their sake and for His. That's what He wants. To that end, we shouldn't be surprised when our expectations don't align with what God does in us, around us, for us, and ultimately through us. Now, unlike my boating experience, many of Jesus' disciples were right at home on a boat. They knew their way around the water because before following Christ, as disciples, they were fishermen. They got it. A little rocking and swaying wouldn't have bothered them one little bit. They would have considered it normal. But on one occasion, the rocking and swaying was anything but normal, and it shook them to their core. They weren't expecting it. I mean, after all, Jesus was with them. So what could possibly go wrong? The passage describing their experience appears three times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to look at all three this morning as we get into the boat with Jesus and his friends to experience their journey together with them. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 4 where we read, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although uh, a few other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. A simple story, not too many verses. Right? If we boil it down, here's basically what happened. Jesus says, let's go. Storm comes, Jesus sleeping, disciples panicking, Jesus doing God things, Jesus speaking, disciples amazed. That's the story, right? But what do we do with it? I mean, what exactly happened here? What does it mean? What are we to make of this significant story in the gospel account of Jesus' life? Let's take it a piece at a time. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. Do you find that at all disturbing? That this whole excursion was Jesus' idea? It's not like he didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus was the best weatherman in the history of the world. He wasn't predicting like a 50% chance of showers. He knew. He got it with absolute certainty. There was going to be a torrential downpour that night. He didn't need the Weather Channel app. He, had, he invented the weather. So the storm was not at all surprising to Jesus. And I would actually suggest to you that sailing into it 
is precisely what he wanted to do. But why? Why would Jesus allow his followers to go into a dangerous situation? On its face, it seems a little unkind, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't it have been better to have made that night a family game night? I mean, this is the night. We're going to stay in and play Parcheesi or whatever. Instead of spending the darkest hours being battered by cold rain on a rickety boat. What was Jesus thinking here? You ever wondered that? To yourself? I have. What is God doing in my life right now? Why is he letting me go through this storm that I'm dealing with? Why does God let us go through the things that he lets us go through? Physical sickness. Suffering. Relational turmoil. Death of loved ones and friends. Heartache. Heartbreak, stress, confusion. Sometimes these things are the result of our own actions. Sometimes they're the result of our sinful, our sinful choices. Sometimes they're not. I don't know if you know, uh, but you should know, it's tax time right now. It's my favorite time of year. Not, not really. Uh, while working through 1099s and W-2s, maybe an accountant's dream for Tara, uh, the rest of us... For the rest of us, it's, it's a nightmare. Now, when filling out my return, I have the choice to be honest or not. I have the choice to honor God by being truthful or look out for my own interests by trying to game the system, so to speak. Now, if I choose not to be honest, it should come as no surprise to me when I get the letter in the mail indicated, indicating that I'm being audited by the IRS. This would be a consequence directly resulting from my actions, right? hypothetically. Which is not to say, by the way, that all IRS audits mean that you've done something wrong. I have been audited. And you'll be happy to know that we are in full compliance with federal law. It's, <laughs> it's important. Sometimes our own actions, uh, we, we have consequences for our own actions. Death. A result of human sin was never God's idea. This was not His plan. In fact, He warned us explicitly about the devastating effects of sin before sin entered the human race. Probably didn't realize that you'd be hearing about both death and taxes on a Sunday morning in February, but it's true. You see, we need to be careful not to delude ourselves into thinking that every bad thing that happens in our lives is because God is punishing us. Okay? That, that is just not the case. However, there are times, perhaps more frequently than we'd like, where God leads us into a storm the way he led his followers into the storm that night because he knows it's exactly what we need. Sometimes he knows we need a good storm to become who he desires us to be. Storms are big. Storms are loud. Storms are scary. Storms make us feel small. They remind us that we're not as capable of handling things as we'd like to let ourselves believe. Storms have a way of helping us see things that we otherwise wouldn't see or maybe we don't want to see. Storms have a way of revealing hidden truth that we are oblivious to but need to know. 
Storms accomplish this by testing the true character of our faith in God and our trust in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as forgiver and leader, we're telling Him that we, we trust Him. We believe in Him. We're making Him the captain of the ship of our lives because we know that He will do a better job steering them than we will. But do we believe that really? Or, like the character from Green Eggs and Ham, do we only believe it when we're in a box or with a fox, but not when we're in a boat or with a goat? (laughs) Storms rock boats and they rock our lives. The question that we've got to wrestle with is this, is God still God when it rains? Is God still God when it's stormy, when it's difficult, even when the storm hands us things that we don't get and we don't like and we don't want? Even then? Well, let's step back into the boat with the disciples and see what happened to them. This time, let's look at Matthew's account. Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. What happened to them? Well, the storm came. It happened. They didn't ask for it, but it was a fierce storm and it rocked their world. Now, the text gives us a hint that they really, they really did not see this coming. It says that the, the storm came upon them suddenly. It happened quick. Things were going along fine, and just all, all of a sudden, out of a blue, wham! They get hit hard. Life's like that sometimes. We get hit in the face with bad news, an unexpected diagnosis, unanticipated sorrow, or anger, or hurt, or frustration, and it's like getting a bucket of cold ice water dumped right on our heads. It wakes us up quickly and unpleasantly. However, in that moment, we are keenly aware of what is most important and what is not. For us, it may be that we suddenly become more aware, more attentive to our health, or our relationships, or our walk with Christ, For the disciples, I assure you, they weren't concerned about their nets or the cargo or anything else on that ship in that moment. They were frightened for their very lives. And as we look at the passage, I suppose that's what makes Jesus sleeping so upsetting. I mean, here these guys are, rowing for their lives, shouting, screaming, perhaps even cursing as Jesus is asleep. It's chaos. It's pandemonium. I don't know about you, but as I think about this in my mind, when I'm going through challenging and difficult seasons, I want to know that God is keenly interested in every aspect of what is happening to me. I want to know that He's in control and that I can rely on Him 
I want him checking in on me frequently, making sure that I know how to bail water out of the boat, making sure that we get the sails set just right so that the ship doesn't capsize. What I don't want is for him to be sleeping. But sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Have you ever felt like you were all alone in the middle of a crisis and wondered where God was in that moment? It is a lonely and desperate feeling. But see, therein lies the difference between who we are and who God wants us to become. You see, we can easily relate to the disciples' state of panic. Jesus' sweet sleep seems to say to us that there is an alternative to the chaos. There is another way, a better way, a different way, a way that expresses deeper trust and a deeper faith than we had when the breeze was gentle and the skies were sunny and blue. What we learn in the storm is that God is trustworthy. He is. And that's the difference between Jesus being able to sleep soundly while the disciples were in utter panic. You see, Jesus knew the Psalms. Jesus knew Proverbs. Jesus knew Proverbs 3, 21 to 26, which says, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They're like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Jesus knew Proverbs. Jesus also knew the Psalms. In Psalm 121, we read, I look up to the mountains... Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will, not, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord himself stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Why could Jesus sleep? Because his level of trust in the Father was perfect. He didn't just theoretically trust his Father, he trusted him perfectly. Southfield, that is where we're going. That's where we're headed. You may be living in a storm right now, but take courage because he who watches over Israel never sleeps. He never slumbers. He watches over you when you lie down and when you wake up, when you're on your way in and when you're on your way out. Hear this. Verse 7, he watches over your life. We need to stop kidding ourselves that God is asleep at the wheel. He is not. He is large and in charge. He is in control. He was in control 
on the, over the weather on the sea that day, and he's in control of the weather patterns in your life and my life today. That's the truth, and we can bank on it. And when we do, we can rest. We can sleep soundly, expressing a deep soul trust in our Maker that He will never abandon us or let us down. As Scripture says in Isaiah, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, that's Jesus, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. The stone, the rock is Jesus and the one who relies on him need not panic even when they're caught in a storm. The passage tells us God is trustworthy. He's reliable. We don't have to play a guessing game and wonder if he cares and will watch over us. He will and he does. Paul references this exact verse in Romans 10 where he writes, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As Scripture says, and here it is, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I love that. Never be put to shame. We can rest securely in God's power. We can rest safe under his authority because when we say God is in control, we need to learn that he really is. It's more than a nice catchphrase or a mantra. It's truth that we can trust. So there is no need to panic. There's no cause for alarm. Even in the worst of circumstances, God is in control. So what happened next? Well, let's rejoin our friends through Luke's account. Once again, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came upon the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly, the storm stopped And all was calm. Then he asked them, where's your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. As the storm hit, the disciples reaction mirrors our reaction a lot of times they panicked they were freaking out i mean upon being awakened jesus response what was it like terse no rude no was it gruff and tough no what exactly were the disciples doing when they woke him up they were praying Lord, help us. We're going to drown. We are going down here, man. Yeah, it was chaotic. They were alarmed. But that's a prayer. That's a prayer. And what was Jesus' response? Well, he answered it. 
He answered it. Can you imagine? In Matthew 18, Jesus told his followers, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So there they were, in the boat. James, John, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Judas, Peter, Thomas, all of them, all 12, pleading with Jesus. And there he was among them, and he answered their prayer. We have access to the same Jesus that those men had access to in the boat. Sometimes the only prayer you've got is, Lord, help me. And you know what? Sometimes that's enough. At least it shows you know where to go when the, when the going gets rough. Now clearly, they didn't have perfect faith, but they did have some faith. And the little that they had was just enough to call out to the one who could do something about their circumstances. And we can do the exact same thing in our storms. We can gather with friends and we can pray for God to intervene in our storms too. I'm really glad that Jesus didn't stay asleep. He didn't just keep sleeping. He acted. He got up and he acted in a way that only he could. He did what no one else could have done. He demonstrated his deity. And I think it's important that we not miss the bit in Mark that tells us there were other boats following them as well. I love that Mark gives us that detail. It's almost as, as if to say, hey, we weren't the only ones there. Uh, if you want to, you can go ask the other boaters who were on the sea that day and ask them if they were able to see the same thing we saw on the sea that day. Easy for me to say. <laughs> it's a bit of a tongue twister, but it's worth noting. The disciples weren't the only ones rescued. There were others as well. It was after the calm had been, or the storm had been calmed down, that Jesus turned and spoke to his friends. And, and these are the words: "Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith?" Uh, they had plenty of reason for faith, by the way. I mean, they'd seen other miracles leading up to this event. They had plenty of reason to believe that Jesus could do what he did. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Where's your faith? You see, Jesus not only calmed the storm on the sea, he did also calm the storm in his friends as well. And in the quiet, in the aftermath, he's able to say the same thing to his friends that he said to the storm. Peace. Be still. And you can almost hear the echo of Psalm 4610. In those words, be still and know that I am God. Jesus met both needs, the physical and the spiritual, in the same way. He addresses the physical need for safety, but loving Jesus is not content to just go back and finish his nap. There's one more thing to do. He needs to hold up a mirror so that they can see where they need to grow. And I submit to you that doing so is an utter act of kindness. Because now that they've experienced a storm, and mind you, it won't be the last one that they face. 
Neither will the storms that we're in be the last ones that we face. But now they know, now they know where they need to grow. They know that God's not done with them yet, and we can know the same. Storms are tough. They are. They're not fun. They're scary. But if storms lead to knowing God at a deeper level, growing in our faith, experiencing His loving kindness, and seeing His power in a mighty way, could it be, could it just possibly be that storms are good? I mean, we keep praying that Psalm 90 prayer that says, let us, your servants, see your work again. Let our children see your glory. How can we see God's work unless we're in a position to watch Him do what only He can do? How can our children observe the glory of God if every day is 75 degrees and sunny? They can't. And so, after Jesus does what Jesus does, the disciples' minds are blown. They're amazed. They can't believe what they've just observed, what they've just experienced. Even in the middle of our storms, we can learn to trust Him and grow into the people that He made us to be. And then like the disciples, we can stand back in amazement and ask, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey Him? This man is Jesus, and He wants to be the captain of your life and mine. Let's talk to His Father and ours right now. Heavenly Father, you put this story in Scripture three times so that we wouldn't miss it. No matter where we're reading in the Gospels, we can't miss it. And we know that you have the power and the authority uh, to do whatever you want. And that sometimes that we, we do experience storms and they're confusing and we don't always get it. But we can see from the actions of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, that you do care and you're in control. God, we need your help. We need your help to calm our storms. We need your help to grow in trust that you are in control even when our circumstances uh, would seem to suggest the contrary. In Jesus' name, amen.